Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The Book of Romans has been called the King of the New Testament Epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. Now, Heavenly Father, we look to you and your God-breathed word before us for our consideration, not just to consider it, Lord, to obey it. First, we have to understand it. Then we have to apply it. And we need your Holy Spirit to do both of those things. So help us, Father God. We want to be blessed by it. We want to be bettered by it. And because it's so, so, such an intense passage and sensitive issues talked about, we just need your Holy Spirit to prepare us. In Christ's name, amen. Did I whet your appetite at all? Good, good, good. What is the best news that you've ever received? Think back a little bit on that one for me. Well, I've got my little list, but uh, maybe you got your dream job, or maybe you made the team, or maybe uh, the one you love loves you too. That's always nice when that happens. Good news is like cold water to a weary soul, says the book of Proverbs. And some of that cold water to my own weary soul came back came to me, I should say, in 2002. Uh, The best news ever, really, the lead oncologist at UCSF told me about the lymphoma that I had been battling for a while. He said, listen, we can cure this. And the confidence in his voice, and then he turned to me and I said, yeah, but I have to have a bone marrow transplant. And you just said I have a 30% chance to survive, 30%. He goes, he looked at me and he said, I think you're going to be okay. We're going to cure you. And he had such determination in his voice that, and of course it turned out to be true, like cold water to a weary soul. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Going on year 17, folks, so praise the Lord for that. But like cold water to a weary soul, and by God's grace, that good news came to pass. And Now, you you know, the backdrop of death really makes the good news kind of pop, you know. And so what bumps any good news kind of up a few notches is when something potentially tragic has been averted. Uh, For example, the jet liner crashes into the Hudson River. All 155 souls on board survived. Now that... That ratches up the good news kind of morse into like 
stupendous news, fantastic news, wonderful news. The darker the backdrop, and it's kind of like when you look at a diamond. You look at a diamond, usually behind the black uh, cloth or velvet, and it causes the brilliance of that gemstone to pop. You see it dazzling there because it's offset by the darkness behind it. Well, Paul has introduced the book of Romans as the gospel of God, the good news of God, which is the entire uh, theme of the 16th chapter letter. And he's about to start off by laying the black backdrop behind the precious gemstone of this gospel, the good news of God, and make it pop. The good news was introduced to us now as we get started. For some context, last verse we looked at was verse 17, where the good news was introduced and he said, we can be saved. Getting right with God is just by simple faith alone. Just trust him. And we could almost hear the anticlimactic ho-hum response of some there in Rome. We can be saved. Well, if you don't think you need to be saved, then what's the good of the good news? And so time to make the good news pop by telling you the bad news first so that you will value, appreciate, and be ready to embrace the good news. Unless you're aware of your perilous situation, your helpless and hopeless condition, then, which is the mission statement, by the way, for the next two chapters. Oh, we will be convinced for sure. Because many in ancient Rome, they, they wouldn't be wowed or cheered by this kind of news, that there's a cure. There's a cure. You, don't worry, you're going to be cured. Well, if you're not convinced of the diagnosis, then, you know, don't tell me about the cure because it doesn't mean anything to me. The ancient Romans kind of felt they were enviable of all people. 70 million of them were enjoying the Pax Romana, the, the peace that Rome established there. And spiritually speaking, when a Roman died, they, they had nothing to fear in death. Everyone passed safely through. There was no moral accountability to any personal God and no impending judgment. <clears throat> there was no understanding, no revelation of an all-seeing and all-knowing God before whom everything is uncovered and laid bare to whom every human soul will give an account. There was no understanding of that. So, as one writer said, without something from which to be saved, there's no reason to be saved. And if you remove the judgment and you remove hell from the gospel... The entire gospel implodes upon itself because salvation is not needed. If salvation is not needed, then we do not need to be saved and then the entire scriptures turn out to be untrue and false warnings about something that will never happen. But of course, the, the contrary is true. And so God is now going to, through the Holy Spirit, is going to, here in our verses, verses 18, really goes on for a couple chapters. We'll stop at the end of our chapter. 
is going to convince us now that we have sinned and rebelled against the God we knew existed, but we rejected the idea of the knowledge of his truth and went our own way and uh, with disastrous consequences. And for this, we are accountable and stand condemned. Once that point is driven, then we will appreciate and love and embrace the good news. So buckle your seatbelts. There's some choppy air ahead. The indictment that brought is brought here is universal. It includes you and me and everybody else without the grace of God. So here's why the good news is even better than you realized. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Moving on. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they actually became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. And he wraps it up by saying, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust that even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships, nat nat natural relations, I should say, with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion, another translation, or their error, their twisting of the truth is the Greek word there. Verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile, now we're on to the larger group, to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. 
although they know God's righteous decrees and that those who do such things deserve death, not only, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I would like to ask Pastor Adam to come up and preach <laughs> this beautiful passage before us. Anybody in the, the mood for good news? Yeah. That's the point of this, yeah. is that we're going to make the good news pop, and I think it's popping before us. And thank goodness it's Communion Sunday. So there is a way out, but he doesn't get there for a couple more chapters. He's got to make sure you really are going to appreciate Communion Sunday, that there's an escape from all of this. And so we're taking a look at that. Thank you for that. We can leave the screen blank until we dive into the first paragraph. There are those three paragraphs really divide quite nicely. They make good talking points. So that first paragraph I'm going to call the kind initiative, the kind gesture that God left his calling card for us in creation, verses 18 to 20. So the kind initiative, note takers. And number two, that second paragraph that we talked about, the rude and foolish response. We kind of snubbed God's calling card and said, no thanks, uh, we're, and uh, we're going to take a pass. Right, And that's the second paragraph. And then he wraps up with the consequences, the, the disastrous consequences of getting what we wanted there. And so there's always consequences for disconnecting from the source of life. And nowhere is that laid out more uh, frankly and clearly than in Romans uh, chapter 1. And so... The previous verse to all of this, verse 17, we started at 18, right? The last thing we heard was some good news. The gospel reveals how to get right with God simply by faith. And then he says, now, he reveals why that's necessary and why you might want to do that. Why you might want to believe in God and be reconciled, especially knowing you don't have to do a thing. You just trust him. That opens the door to his Holy Spirit who comes in and starts to work and you cooperate with him and your life changes. But to qualify for eternal life, uh, you've qualified by being in that long list somewhere and crying out to trust God to fix it. That's what saves you and that's what the good news is, is, is that you get everything for nothing. You go from death to eternal life. You go from being an object of wrath to an object of his great love. You go from somebody who's, who could experience uh, eternal loss to somebody who will be adopted and be called a co-heir of Christ. And, and how to, do you achieve and avert this terrible disaster? By faith. Plus nothing. That is the gospel. And so he's going to press that home. Let's throw up those verses there and get underway with the kind initiative. 
It begins with the wrath of God, as you see here. So I believe that Paul and the Holy Spirit did that just to grab everybody's attention. Uh, the paragraph itself isn't yet about the wrath of God, but uh, really why the wrath of God is stirred up. And so he's going to say that the gospel of God is good news. The gospel of God is to the wrath of God. The good news of God is that you can avoid the wrath of God. They're kind of partnered together there. And that is what God wants you to. He wants us to escape the wrath that he has against all things evil. And, and that's what he wants. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says that our God and Savior wants all men and all women to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And we see this, if we're going to work backwards, if you don't mind, backwards from 20 up. Uh, he wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we see that in creation, he says. One of the ways he's communicated that truth to draw people to him is to leave his fingerprints all over the place and to leave his calling card, as I've been calling it, a creation. Uh, creation is a, a visible disclosure of the invisible God. And so it says, ever since the universe was created, I'm paraphrasing verse 20 for you, ever since the universe was created, everyone could see the invisible God by looking at the visible creation. It's keenly obvious what has been made has been created by one who's powerful and eternal. Therefore, we're, we're without excuse. And so he says, look around you. Everybody knows. Everybody can tell. And it's what theologians call creation the general revelation. They call the gospel the special revelation. But the general revelation that every human heart has been exposed is existing in a world that has been created. And so when you look at a building, you have a basis of deduction that there's a builder. And when you look at a masterpiece of painting, you have a basis of a deduction for you to reason there must be a very talented artist who did this because there's a color scheme, there's intent, there's design, there's all of these things. And so he says that when you look at a creation that has order and balance and design and intelligence, and it all fits together in this well, perfect way, fallen as it is, then there is a basis of deduction for you as human beings to deduce Creation, order, intelligence, therefore, there is a God. Amen. This is what the Bible's claim is. And so he says, and he did that on purpose and in love so that men would reach out to find him. Listen to this. Acts chapter 17, Paul is talking to a bunch of um, unbelievers in Athens, a bunch of philosophers who worship idols. And he said, uh, listen, I'm going to tell you about this God who made the world and everything in it. Acts 17, note takers. He himself gives life and breath to everything. Uh, he is, he's the one who satisfies all of our needs. He set the seasons in place. He, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. 
And here it is in verse 27. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and that perhaps they would reach out for him to feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. So there Paul is saying, listen, creation is God's calling card. He said, come find me, people. It reminds me of hiding from our kids when they were one, three, and five. I remember just playing uh, hide and seek. It was no fun because they couldn't find me. I mean, I'm an adult. I could hide in places a three-year-old will never look, right? So I'd hang my leg out from the drapes, you know? I'd hang my leg out. And, you know, when it was getting too long and I wanted to stop playing hide and seek, you know, I'd just kind of, you know, kind of jiggle it a little bit. And then they, they're like, oh, I found daddy, right? Well, I wanted to be found. And we have a daddy. And he wants to be found. He's seeking, who else did this? I've got some pictures of the creation that's screaming, somebody did this and somebody's powerful, more powerful than we are. I've got some pictures. Let's just start wherever I, yeah. You know, come on, you can't look at that and just go, whoa, there was a big bang, (laughs) and look what came out, (laughs) all by itself. And if you just did the science on what goes on in that body and how the design is and all of that, wow, next picture. You know, I just, that's a thing of beauty, but the whole thing. The world, the water, design, the tongue is lapping. It's designed to lap like that. And the cougar, the cougar, the cheetah needs water. And it just, the, thank you. <laughs> Moving on, the design. You, you know, come on, big bang and explosion and by chance and over millions and millions and, go ahead. Next one. <laughs> you know, just the, 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 the creation Everybody goes there with their Starbucks cup of coffee and they just stand there and they're just standing there and they're not drawn to that. They're drawn to the one who made that, but they don't know that. They're drawn like, whoa, look at that. Some mighty, powerful, eternal being must have. There's something behind that calling and drawing. There's another one. You know, come (laughs) Next one. That's all you need right there. Next one. Do you know from a seed that you can't even see that I'm holding between my fingertips will produce enough lumber to contain the largest ocean liner ever made? From that one tree. But it's all contained in one seed. All of that wood from one seed. It's encoded in one seed that's this big. Next slide. (laughs) They're all ordered. They all know where to go. They're in their places right now. They're not late. They're right there. Yeah, who's holding them up? Go ahead, the next one. The perfect mix of oxygen and nitrogen and all the gases, everything works together. And everything you see in Manhattan, 
we got everything here from the earth. The earth came, batteries included. It came, it came with everything. Everything you ever saw in life, in modern life, was already deposited here. What an accident. How, what a coincidence that it could be all just there. That up from the ground would grow bread. Because that's what it is. Up from the earth comes bread. I got one more. One half cell from mom and a half cell, microscopic, a half cell from mom get together and make one cell. And that baby, who is now a hundred trillion cells, began for 90 minutes as one cell. And in that one cell, there was enough information to do that. Therefore, we are without excuse when we look around, when we take in the world around us. Thank you for those pictures. All of this is what he's saying. Here's one writer, and then we'll move on from this massively interesting concept. What God intended and hoped for did not happen. That men would come toward him. Surprisingly, just the opposite. Instead of acting on what they did know and the truth that God plainly made clear to them, quoting him, they willfully suppressed that truth and got rid of him replacing him with idols of their own making, but not without disastrous results. So let's talk about the great snub here. All right. So God makes his, uh, we can go back to the verses, thank you. God makes his existence known to every human heart. And you do notice it says, at God himself makes it plain to everybody's heart at some level. And, and so really, we have to kind of uh, redefine the traditional um, de definition of what an atheist is if we take the Bible's point of view. So according to your text, looking in front of you, um, I believe I'm asking for the original verses back because I haven't, there, there we go. Because God has made it plain to them. On some level, he's saying, even on a level that we may not be consciously aware of in the moment, but there has been a plain and clear understanding. So an atheist really is, the word means from the Greek, without God. But an atheist, redefined biblically, is not one who uh, does not believe in the God they don't know. Rather, the one who chooses to live without God, they do know. All right? This is what the Bible is saying. It's saying there's no such thing as a person who says, I don't believe there is a God. It is by scripture's attestation. How do you say regularly? <laughs> it's regularly attestated. <laughs> That's not going to work. Okay. Clip this out of the first recording. All right. <laughs> that everybody knows. 
to, to be, call yourself an atheist without God is a choice to abandon the knowledge of God that you have. So you are living to choose apart from knowing there is a God because of your soul as well. So what was well perceived, uh, verse 20 there, look at verse 20, clearly perceived and fully understanding. That really is underscored there. The truth of God being made plain, was it well received because it was well perceived? No, on the contrary, it was suppressed, verse 18. So we have now worked our way back to the wrath of God and why it was kindled. Leon Morris said suppress the truth, that people suppress the truth is too strong of a word there in verse 18 because it implies that they were successful. And the word itself in the Greek does not have that implication. It's more along the lines of they hinder the truth or they push it back or they push it away or push it aside. But you shake up the bottle with the oil and the water, and eventually the oil will come to the surface. But you can keep trying to push it down kind of thing. So the universal indictment here, now guilt would be mitigated when somebody has an absence of knowledge. So, you know, the teacher didn't say the test needed to be done in, in red ink only. Right, And so she can't take off points because she didn't tell anybody. But the indictment against all mankind is that not only can they make a deduction, but they have a soul, and God put a conscience in it, and God himself made it clear to the human conscience that if you exist, you have been fathered. There is a father, and that is confirmed by the creation around you. And notice here that people are not being judged on the light they haven't received, but they are being judged for sinning against the light that they did receive. I was at Healed College. I was talking about, I was sharing the gospel. We had had a break, and somebody asked a question, and it got really quiet in the room like the Holy Spirit was there, and people were connecting the dots, and it was one of those moments, almost like church, where it gets really super quiet. It's like, whoa, they're getting it, right? And one of them said, you know, that's the first time it really made sense to me. And the whole class was kind of like, yeah, right? And then I said, now you're accountable, now you're accountable. And three guys in front of him, all at the same time, went like this. <laughs> it was funny. It was a joke. But they understood that you're accountable when you live in a universe and take in the sights of everything around you and see human reproduction and you have conscience and you have the heavens declaring the glory of God speaking fluently in everyone's language their voice is never not heard 24-7 day and night they pour forth speech and what are they saying there is a God there is a God there is a God therefore he says the wrath of God is kindled because it's not a sin of ignorance, an absence of knowledge. It's a sin of full-on knowledge. 
and rejection that although they knew God, they exchanged the truth of God and threw him out and then for things that they preferred other than him. Now, let's talk about the wrath of God right there and then we'll dive into it. The wrath of God is quite misunderstood. Uh, Listen, we associate it with the anger of man. And the anger of man and the wrath of God are two different things altogether. The anger of God is self... uh, This anger of man, I should say. Let's start with man. Self-serving. You picture temper and road rage and destruction and cruel and vicious and maliciousness, a desire for revenge and the anger... Um, Human anger does not produce the right kind of life that God desires for us, says uh, the book of James. God's wrath, it should be pretty, uh, without any need to tell you that there's no poisonous ingredients in God's wrath. It's this morally pure, deeply personal, level-headed, perfectly measured, holy hostility and active opposition to all things evil he's a balanced God there's things he loves and there's things he hates Proverbs chapter 6 says hey you want to know seven things God hates and if there's compassion and if there's a love of truth there's justice for evil and a desire for God to want to judge it Remove it, annihilate it, make it go away. And that's the wrath of God. Mankind was fulfilled with the knowledge of his existence and with a full understanding of right from wrong. Uh, We chose to commit mutiny and to decide to do away with God and replace him with things we like better. For example, now the next verses. For although they knew God, full knowledge, maybe not of the gospel, but enough to start down the right path, they neither glorified him, didn't honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so we're going to talk about this. I've already read it, but I'll go um, repeat some of these things as well. So... Uh, God was kind enough to leave us a hint, you know, a calling card, a homing device in our own lost hearts, right? That's constantly trying to get us home if we'd listen to it, uh, but we're pretty good at ignoring it. And now, uh, now we see man's response, the, the shocking snub. You know, it's one thing to snub Aunt Marge. You know, and, and if you have an Aunt Marge, I didn't mean anything by that, you know. But to snub God, you know, that takes a lot, of, as we say, chutzpah, you know, to just say, no thanks. We know who you are. We know what you're up to. And thank you for the neon signs that say, this way, out of harm's way, this way to me, this way to me, folks. And I'll say, are you kidding me? We know what's on the other end, you. We don't want to go that way. We, we take our chances over here with reptiles and birds and other animals. Now we're talking the wrath of God kindling there. So the equitable trade here before you, the origin of all idolatry. Now the human heart, it was created to worship him 
uh, to reach out to him, to trust a higher power, him, <laughs> to solicit prayers and blessings from him, to know that we're small and we, we have the sense that somebody up there needs to uh, help and support and comfort. And so when we ousted the right occupant of that place, there's a vacuum there and it will always be filled and it must always be filled with something. You will serve somebody. The old Bob Dylan song, you gotta serve somebody, you will and are currently now serving all kinds of things. We do that. But hopefully nothing before him who made us and loves us and sustains us. And so reminiscent of the garden. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. It's always a deal. So they, they went for the deal. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of their own choosing. And so your text says there in verse 23, starts the list for birds, animals, reptiles, and even man himself. Since it was, uh, since it seems to be slide Sunday, I've got some more slides for you. Okay. A worship of animals, and, and people worship animals all over the world. But I thought this was funny, this one. All right. He is, uh, there, uh, there are cults all over the world in all different places that worship. I went online. Uh, name an animal. It's worshipped. All right. A mountain. Mountains are worshipped. There's all kinds of things that are worshipped. And so I just thought he, the monkey was like, okay, I'll bless you. <laughs> Things must be pretty bad if you're coming to me. <laughs> and they are. They are. If you're going for a monk to a monkey to say, help me out of this situation. <laughs> Next slide. Now, birds, the Egyptians worshiped the ibis. And this is back from those periods, just artwork. Uh, reptiles. A snake. There you go. There are serpent gods and goddesses that are worshipped. Believe that there's di divinity in them. Yeah, I mean, we worship. That's what we do. And we make the exchange. Thank you for that. I don't think I have another one, do I? I do? All right. Oh, this is narcissist. Narcissus, right. He passed himself once, saw his reflection, and just fell in love. It cost him his life. As he got so close, he drowned. <laughs> what a way to go, to drown in the love of yourself. Thank you for that picture. We can go back to the second point. Very good. Thank you. So if you don't like submitting to a Lord with moral accountability and bowing the knee and having a God who's watching your every move for love, right, then you're going to opt out for, for things like that that you think are safer. And so their foolish hearts were darkened, and that's what happens in your text there. Uh, when you unplug from the light of the world, what did we expect? He says, uh, the lights will go out and you will lose your ability to understand wrong from right, up from down, left from right. You, you'll have no ability because 
The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. So, if you've thrown away the clear knowledge that there is a God, and it's from that God who gives all wisdom and all understanding, then of course the consequences of being estranged from the treasure house of all knowledge is is that you become foolish and darkened in your understanding, which leads to darkened deeds. Deeds that maybe feel fun and the world loves, but... They're foolish. There's a, a, there is a way that seems right to men, and in the end, it leads to death. So there's sincerity. There's good intention. But they've lost the ability to reason because they're unplugged from the source of knowledge and discernment. And that makes them futile. See verse 21 where it says futile? Well, you know, life is pretty futile if you don't know who God is, who you are. If God made you, how, and, and you're estranged from that God, then how, how much more futile can life ever be? Because you don't know where you come from, to whom you, you belong, why you're here, and where you're going. So how could your life be anything other than futile? Well, yeah, it seems to work for a lot of people. Well, that's where uh, uh, a way that seems right to a man, there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, Jesus said, what would it matter if you gained the whole world and you got it all together and you live life by, by the rules worlds, but not God's, and then you lose your own soul? So you've got to suspend judgment until the last breath. And then at the last breath, when you find out your eternal uh, destiny, your sentencing or your reward, then you know uh, that you lived foolishly or you lived with God's wisdom. The second thing, verse 21, notice this. It says, they became unthankful. And Charles Spurgeon said this, you, if you disconnect from God through whom all blessings flow, then you're not aware that you're indebted to anybody because it's by your strength and your ingenuity and all of that. So there's no reason to be thankful because you're healthy, you work out at the gym, it's all about you. You don't owe God anything, so you're not a thankful person in that regard. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, man's ingratitude against God is shocking. He says, I cannot say anything much worse of a man than that he's not thankful to those who have been his benefactors. And when you say that he's not thankful to God, you have said about the worst thing you can say about any person. And so unplugging from God. Well, guess what? We have to move on now. Ready for this? It looks like it's a lot, but it's actually will move very quickly. You didn't need to gasp. <laughs> that wasn't encouraging. <laughs> Let's see what we can do here. Now we've moved now to the disastrous consequences. What is the wrath of God being revealed against the world? It's the history of the world. It's God giving over, and there's three verses that say God said, I'm going to remove the guardrails for you and let you have what you're bent on 
having with the painful, disastrous consequences. And it's not without redemption or love in hopes that the painful consequences will bring you back. Because he whispered to us in our pleasures and we ignored that. And now he's going to take away the guardrail, let us touch the flame. And then perhaps in the pain of touching the flame, we will cry out to him. That's what many of us did, right? And so the wrath of God is being revealed by turning people over to the desires of their heart. And the first example is homosexuality and then 20 some odd vices of the human heart. Now, he first describes it there in both genders. And uh, what he says of it is, in verse 26, it's shameful, um, unnatural, verse 27, indecent, verse 27, and uh, a perversion, an error of the truth, a twisting of the truth. And so Paul is not writing to the gay community to win them to the Lord. He's writing to Christians who are surrounded by prevalence of homosexuality to help them understand the seriousness of it and um, whether it's right or wrong. So there's nobody who could read this without understanding clearly what the scriptures believe of the behavior. Now, if you're dealing with anybody from the LGBTQ community who we love, who we invite to be here among us, who Jesus gave his life for, I mean, my friends, you're in the list. You're in the list, just like they are. Just read the list. You'll find yourself. Does it matter what verse you're in? If you're in the boat and the boat's going over the Niagara, or do you care which seat you're in on the boat? Well, at least I'm not up in that seat. You know, well, good for you. You'll get less wet on the way down. And so these behaviors, listen to me very well, these behaviors are not in keeping. These behaviors do not keep somebody from heaven. Have nothing to do with it. They are symptoms and consequences of being estranged from God. And that is what keeps anybody from heaven. It does not matter your orientation or your crimes, whether you're a heterosexual sinner or a homosexually oriented person. If you're an unbeliever, that's the problem. And then anybody, L, G, B, T, Q, or H, and H, comes to Christ to be forgiven as we are with our struggles, same-sex attraction or not, or being a womanizer. And then Christ comes in, and he does his work. And some people who find themselves same-sex attracted, and there are people here who love Jesus who have to deal with that. So they choose either to abstain or God has done such a marvelous work that they marry and they have children. 
and they limp along and struggle with the grace of God just like you and me. You see? So I wouldn't lead with this passage with our gay friends. I mean, if someone has to ask, hey, show me in the Bible where it says, you know, then you might have to do that. But for me, I start talking about the good news. This is the bad news. I mean, if you really have to go here, go here. But the good news is that it's not about the first birth. It's not about it being in the list at all. It's about being, <laughs> there's a rescue boat. And all you have to do is trust God. And he'll get you off of the one boat and put you on the other. And while you're on the other boat, safe, then we'll work out all the healing and the changing in our lifestyle and the way we think and all of that. But behavior does not keep you out of heaven. It's about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, it's very hard as a pastor to try to take a subject like that and show you every little thing I meant by every little thing I said. There's no time for that. I'm already out of time. If you have a question, come to me and ask. I will buy you lunch, I will take you out, and I will explain it. That way, you don't leave going, you know, now, now, great, Pastor Ross is saying. Actually, just check in with me, because I'm the one who said it, right? Check in. I gladly tried to help work this through. And so here you have all of these terrible things. Uh, The list here, let me just, I think I have them here. Let's go through them really fast. We'll read them. He says, so wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. He says, everybody's full of this. Wow. Heart's full of wickedness. It's just, just generally meaning missing the mark, evil just has an idea of immorality involved greed and an insatiable desire for more, more, more. A depravity is just ever-increasing moral corruption. Okay, next line. So now to the societal sins. Envy is uh, wanting what belongs to you and resenting you for having what I don't have. Murder is wanting you to go away and making it look like an accident. (laughs) Strife is somebody who loves to argue, extort for troublemaker. A deceit is slippery and sly. You never know what they're thinking. They're always kind of slippery. Malice just means hidden meanness. Hidden meanness. And now we've got a next group. Now, these are the less uh, problematic. Everybody does it, so, you know. know. (laughs) Gossips, the word in the Greek means to whisper. Whispering about people and things you have no right talking about. Yeah, let's all concentrate on the first two verses. Yeah, that's so terrible. Oh, my word. And there's a parade in everything. <laughs> Did you hear? You're just as guilty, bro. Slanderers. <laughs> Slanderers means to make stuff up about something to hurt them. God haters, we get it. Insolent 
means to be full of yourself and looking down your nose at everybody, showing contempt for everyone except yourself. Arrogant means to be inflated and uh, mean-spirited about it. And boastful, boastful is an uh, interesting word. In the Greek, it, it originally was wanderer. And why it was wanderer is because people would take trips and then they would come back and exaggerate stories that couldn't be verified. And so they called it boasting because you're just telling stories or there, here comes the wanderer. I thought that was interesting. So did first service, moving on. <laughs> Way, you know, not only do they do uh, evil, but they get good at it. You know, like, oh, we, we learned how to hotwire the ATM machines now. You know, oh, you think that's good? I learned how. Yeah, so they, they're getting good at ripping people off. They're skilled for the evil one. Hurrah. All right. Hey, I'm not done yet. That's one of the sins right there. Go back. Thank you. All right. You disobeyed your parents. <laughs> now, disobeying your parents. What? How did that get on the list like that? Because one of the commandments is honor your mother and father. And to God, that's a big deal to show insubordination to those we owe so much to. Now we can finish up. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> I love you, Spencer. I owe you lunch. <laughs> Senseless means a willful ignorance. Faithless means you break your promises all the time. Nobody can depend on you. You say one thing and you do another. Heartless means you just really don't care about too much more than your own concerns. And Ruthless is, I will get what I want no matter what it takes. Wife, husband, children, I'm going for it because you're ruthless. Okay, moving on. That's it. Thank you. You can go back to the verse where we can end. Praise the Lord. Not so bad. <laughs> So here's how he closes it up. He says, look, although they knew that God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, it, he doesn't mean legally, like, you know, you disobey your parents, you deserve to die. He's, he's saying when people sin, they know by their conscience that they've sinned against God and stand condemned. That's the meaning of it. And if you stand condemned by God, it's, there's not a whole lot of life there. So that's what it means there. Not only do they continue to do it, even though they know God is saying, man, there's going to be some painful, deadly consequences to what you're doing. Not only do they do it, but then they recruit and they applaud and they approve and they rally together for those to practice, for others to practice the same kinds of sin. Now that we've read that list and you found yourself in that list, even now, even now, we've been plucked out of that life. A new spirit is in us and still we're in the list. 
struggling, not embracing, and not as a pattern of our lives, but once in a while, a pop-up here and there that has to be dealt with. And the way it gets dealt with is the good news, is that God said, no worries. I'm going, now check this. The wrath of God is being revealed. And here is how it was fully revealed. On the cross. So he says, yes, mankind went out of control. And there it is. There's the picture. And he's not done yet. He's going to grab the religious people next and convince them. But he said, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven as it came down on the holy head, the sacred head of God, the Son who created the heavens and earth. And he said, tag this list and tag all of them who have committed any of this and a lot more and put all of that list on me. And now take out your rightful Rage, God, the wrath of God on me instead of them. Now this list, heterosexual, homosexual, L, B, G, T, Q, X, Y, Z, paid in full. Paid in full as if you never did it. That's what justified means. So when he says the justified will live by faith, when you trust Christ alone and turn away from this nonsense, just trusting him, he says the wrath of God was poured out. You're clean. It will never come up against you. It's gone forever. And the power that it held over you before, broken in the name of Jesus, if you cooperate with the Holy Spirit is reciting. And that brings us to communion. The cost for that is what we now celebrate this morning. The, the ushers are coming forward. We're going to wrap up this time with a little good news. The blood of God's Son shed on our behalf to get us out of that list and into the book of life. Amen. How many of you would rather be found in the Lamb's book of life than in Romans chapter 1? Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, Father, we thank you, Father God, for taking us out of Romans 1 and putting us in Revelation 20 with the Lamb's book of life. We thank you, Father, for the cost of our free salvation, your dealing with and absorbing the wrath of God. Now, work in our hearts as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.